If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. We'll be reading the entire chapter if you would give ear to the reading of God's word. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all kinds of evil speaking, a newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, summit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when the, you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning to worship and glorify your name. We come because we know you are the sovereign Lord Almighty. 
the one and only creator of heaven and earth and everything in them. We come today to hear your voice, Lord, which is like the roar of rushing water. Speak to us. Let not our hearts be hardened. Grant us grace to stop our rebellion. Do not allow us to be tested beyond what we can handle. Pour out on us your mercy and fill us with your desire to hear your word and apply its truths to our lives. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The title of this sermon is The Importance of Belief. And it's taken from 1 Peter 2, 7 through 12. Salvation and belief are tied together. This brings up a couple of questions. Are there means associated with our salvation? Is salvation exclusively the work of God? These are two very important questions for those who would call themselves Christians. What's the answer to both? If you are a Calvinist in the vein of that theological system named for John Calvin, then the answer is absolutely yes. God is the sole author of your salvation. It is his work in calling you, giving you a new heart that makes you a believer. In our sermon on the living stone, we looked at the connection between Christ and believers, and we saw that the connection was the sovereign call of God in the hearts of both. Calling Christ to come into the world, calling him to come and save men from their sins, and calling men to hear and believe on Christ and his works. No one is saved that is not drawn to Jesus Christ by the sovereign work of God in their heart. Does this then mean that there is nothing required of you in this process? No, it does not. The scriptures are quite clear that God expects of those he calls some actions. He expects them to hear the call to understand that they are sinners lost and without hope apart from Jesus Christ. He expects them to open their mouths and to proclaim their sins and to take action to remove those sins from their lifestyle. He requires of them obedience to his word. He demands that they live a holy life, that they show the world that they are now different because they have been touched by God. Some would say this is a contradiction. Either you're saved by God's act or by your own decision. They cannot understand how it could entail both. There are many mysteries in the scripture, and we are not always able to understand them all. Free will and predestination has always caused problems. Man was created with a free will. God placed him in the garden and gave him a clear choice. Obey or disobey? Obey obey and live with God for eternity in paradise. Disobey and die. The death he suffered was a spiritual death, plunging him into a state of total separation from God. He still had a completely free will, but he had lost his ability to choose what God offered. For man to be rescued from this state of death required a sovereign act of God. That act is what we call regeneration, the giving of a new heart or being made alive. 
Once God regenerates a man, he is again capable by God's help of choosing obedience. Therefore, he can then choose to believe what he said, what God says about himself. That he is a sinner, God says about him. That he is a sinner, lost and without hope apart from Jesus Christ. He can see his need of a savior and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save him. Salvation is the sole act of God giving a new heart. And that's not the end of the salvation process. Once you have a new heart, you have to believe in the one who made that new heart possible. You have to see and believe on Jesus Christ and on Jesus Christ alone. You have to, you have to recognize he is the one and only one who can save your soul. The process of belief is one of the means through which God brings you to himself. Listen to Peter's words from 1 Peter 1-2. To God's elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter lays out the process of salvation. The believer is called by God. He's chosen according to God's will, and then he's made alive. He is then placed in the process of salvation where he is to be molded into the image of Jesus Christ by the sanctifying work of the Spirit and cleansed by the sprinkling of Christ's blood. Please understand, this whole process is God's sovereign work. And even though you are given a part of it or a part in it, it is only possible because God is enabling you to do your part that you're saved. That's how you get saved. You let God do his work. You follow the lead and believe and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. That brings you to salvation. In the verses before us this morning, Peter explains this idea of belief. Belief and faith are synonymous terms, and we're told that without faith it's impossible to please God. So, without belief, you can't know God. Therefore, I trust you see the importance of belief. Next, we will examine the results of belief. And last, we will study the responsibility of belief. Peter begins this section with some very strong words. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious to those who are disobedient. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. He begins with a direct statement to all who believe. What should they be believing? That Jesus Christ was sent by the Father as the cornerstone of the church. In John 15, 29, Jesus told some people that the work of God was to believe on the one he sent. If you believe in Jesus as the one sent by God, then you are a part of this new temple, which is being built with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. It will be very precious to you because you will know that without Jesus, you cannot know God. Jesus is precious to all called by God because without him, they are lost and hopeless. Here is the first purpose of belief. It is to make Jesus Christ precious in your sight. 
It is only the true believer that will see and hold, take hold of Jesus Christ and work the work he did through his perfect life, atoning death and resurrection victory. All Jesus did was to save your soul. He came into this world to call those who were sick to him as the great physician. He called you to hear. He called you to believe. Believe in him. For as the scripture says, I'm the life, the life, I lost that one. I am the truth, the way, the life, the truth, and the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, it's only the true believer that's going to see and understand this. As you study the scripture, as you grow in your understanding of all Christ has done for you, you grow in your recognition of all you have failed to do. As you understand that you are totally helpless to save yourself, and as you see the work of Christ, you grow in your love and appreciation of him. You then, because you believe in him and in all he has done, take on the works he has prepared for you to do because he is so precious and you want with all of your heart to please him. You must understand here, the works you do are a part of God's sovereign plan for your salvation. But this is not the only purpose of belief. Peter makes another statement. He says, Therefore to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient. The second purpose of belief is the elect, in the elect is to show the sinfulness of those who refuse to believe. Nothing is more precious than Jesus Christ to those who believe. The wonderful and glorious work he has done, the great honor of the office he bears, the closeness in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his great love. All of this goes to honor, goes to honor and faithfully esteem him all the more and more. But the wicked do not believe. They have no faith. When we say the wicked, we mean those who will not be persuaded, those who are skeptical, those who refuse to repent. You may find in these some truths, but it is never the full truth which is required for true belief. Belief then acts for us as a milestone to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Peter explains this further using a quote from Psalm 118.22. He says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The image comes from the ancient quarries where highly trained stonemasons carefully chose the stones that were used in construction. The builders, the chief priests, turned away from Jesus and they led the people astray. Therefore, Peter says that Jesus became a rejected stone. He became a rock of offense to them. They came to him and they stumbled and injured themselves. Then he fell on them and crushed them. Matthew 21, 44. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken. But whoever it falls upon whom it falls, it will grind him to powder. You understand what he's saying? You come along. Christ is in your way. You stumble. Break you up, it breaks you up. But what does it do? It softens your heart. You recognize your need. He is the great healer. He can heal you. He is the great savior who can save you. But if you come along and stumble over that rock and fall and you don't have that change of heart, then that rock will fall on you and it will just crush you to powder. 
In other words, you have absolutely no hope. Therefore, you can see that this same Jesus, or belief in him, can be to some the savor of life, while to others it is the odor of death. As the Christ child was presented in the, at the temple at eight days of age, the prophet Simeon said in Luke 2:34, Behold this child, he is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be broken, which will be spoken against. Jesus is not the author of anyone's sin. He does not make anyone sin, but he is the occasion for many sins. It is the disobedience of man's heart that makes him sin, that causes him to stumble and fall, to reject Christ, which drives him to judgment, punishment, and destruction. Everyone who rejects Christ as Savior, they will be crushed by the weight of their own sin as they come face to face with the living stone. Listen to Peter. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. God has declared disobedience brings death. This is the decree of, of, of reprobation. All who rebel and continue in their rebellion will be cast into hell by the sovereign decree of God. My friends, you must not allow the rejection of Christ by the masses to discourage you. If you believe, and you believe in your heart, that God sent this living stone into the world, that he was cut for a special purpose, and that to redeem a people to himself, then your love and appreciation for what he has done will grow stronger and stronger. This is a promise, a promise of the word, and it is a confirmation of the hope and belief we have in both God's word and in Christ our Savior. The Jews were privileged. They were a privileged people under the Old Testament. They were set apart to God. They were highly favored, being chosen by God for the purpose of bringing his word to the world. They were very jealous of those set apart. Peter, in writing of these Jews, wants them to understand the living word, Jesus Christ. This has, that, that he has come into the world, and there has been a change from the old covenant to the new covenant. Now, for a person to be chosen of God, he has to believe on Christ. Peter begs them not to allow Christ, the living stone, to be a stumbling block a rock of offense to them. Verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For Jew or Gentile, for them to turn away from Jesus means they have not heard the gospel message and believed in it with all of their hearts. Isn't that tragic? That we have people out there who have just rejected the word of God completely. Therefore, they're not a part of the chosen people. There is but one way to come to the Father, and Jesus tells us that way is in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the same thing Peter is declaring in verse 7 when he says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. The results of belief is being saved and made a part of God's kingdom through what is believed. So the only thing you can believe in and be saved is Jesus Christ. All true believers in Jesus Christ become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It is only those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ that are made a part of God's family. They are adopted into God's family because they have placed their trust in Christ and become one with him. They become witnesses to his great work of redemption. They become ministers to show others the way into this wonderful holy nation. They become different from the world around them. You can't be holy and be like the world. So this is a radical change. It's a turning away from all the old ways, especially trusting in yourself. It is now placing all of your trust in Christ and in him alone. The three words Peter uses here are very important words. Chosen, royal, and holy. All who believe in Jesus Christ are a chosen people. They are all brought together to make one family. A family that is different from the rest of the world. They have another spirit, rule, and practice. This was given them by divine decree and implanted in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Everyone who truly loves Jesus Christ are a royal priesthood. They have been given a place of leadership and honor because they of their belief and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. They're able to make great improvements. They're able to make great changes in their lives, spirits, and in their hopes and thoughts. They become a royal priesthood, separated from sin and set apart from sinners, consecrated to God in order that they can offer spiritual sacrifices. Sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Every one of those who name the name of Jesus Christ and they alone come together to make up one holy nation. They are one nation under one head agreeing to the same principles, practices, and devotions to the one who has saved them. They are a set-apart group. A group dedicated to one purpose. The glorification of the God who has provided for them their all. My friends, it is your honor to be a part of this chosen people, this royal priesthood, this holy nation. You are the people God has called and set apart to place his love on. This is not what you deserve because of how wonderful you were. You were sinners lost and without hope. You had nothing in and of yourself to offer this holy God. It is only because of the grace offered in Jesus Christ that your sins are forgiven, that you are called into this family. Therefore, you must understand, you must ever declare God's praise, for it is by his grace alone that you now stand in his presence. Peter continues in verse 10 to explain how important it is for you to always remember from where you came. Remember how lost you were, how despicable you were, 
when you first saw God's holiness? You need to keep before you your former state. This will work to make you ever more thankful for the grace given you in Jesus Christ. You will always remember that you are saved by his perfect life because you will remember your own sinful life and inability to please God. As you reflect on his atoning sacrifice, you will see the darkness that filled your heart and hid from you his mercy. As you consider his resurrection victory, the light will shine brightly as you recall the efforts of your own work and feelings of futility it left. Please, please do not allow yourself to forget what you were because it is only in the recognition of your former estate that the glorious light of your present place in Christ shines its brightest. What is the result of being in Jesus? It's a new and wonderful life, a new and amazing relationship with your Heavenly Father, a new and glorious reward, a most mysterious change in your heart and the way your life is lived. It is a peace that is beyond your ability to completely understand, and it is a comfort that cannot be fully explained by words, but will be understood when entered into Having told them about the importance of belief and the results that follow, Peter now instructs them of the duty that accompanies belief. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Now please note the phrase, God in the day of visitation. Now this is from the New King James. The NIV translates it this way, God on the day he visits us. It adds the word us. This does not reflect the best meaning of the Greek. The correct idea is to show that God's visitation comes to each individual as they become a believer. So it's a personal request to you. It's a personal promise to you. It's not made to all of us collectively. It's made to you individually. That's important. That's what draws you into the family and makes you aware of how much of a connection you have with other believers. In these verses, Peter wants you to understand, yes, you're a new creature in Christ, but you still are in the world and have the remnants of that old nature hanging on. He issues a strong warning. You are saved by grace, you're in Christ, but you still are expected to be diligent. God shows his love for them and calls them beloved. He says, I beg you. This is exactly the way we should be with one another. We should, out of love and concern for each other, approach one another with love when we see a danger lurking. We should remind each other of the grace given in Christ and of the work of the Holy Spirit and of the danger of becoming too close with the world. Herein lies the duty of all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. You're to be diligent in your exercise of discernment. You must understand that this world is not your home any longer. 
You are now in Christ, an alien and stranger to this world. You are just passing through and must not allow the pleasures of this world, which last only a short time, to entrap you. These worldly lusts and desires, which war against the soul, it is this very type of sin that trapped you into bondage. And if you do not fight against it, it will again take the liberty of soul you have been given in Jesus Christ. Now, you must understand, liberty is the privilege to do what you were created to do. And that is to worship and serve your creature, your creator. Even the Christian who is called by God cannot serve God when he, the Christian, is tied up in sin. This does not mean you lose the grace that saved you, but it sure puts a damper on the peace and joy of that salvation. As a believer, you're given the responsibility to live your life under the guidance of God's word, and when you fall short in this duty, you lose the joy of serving and worshiping God. This is the way God continually reminds you to keep looking back at what you were and forward at what he has promised to make you. There is also a positive side to this exhortation. You are, as a believer, given the duty of living good lives before wicked men. Go out in this dark world and be salt and light. Salt's a preservative. It keeps things from rotting. You, as a believer, are to be a preservative in the society in which you live. I have to stop and wonder what we've been doing over the last four or five decades. How does it do this? How do we do this? By living a holy life and making those wicked men around you ashamed of their evil ways. You are also to be light. Light reveals what is hidden. Jesus was the light of the world, and men hated the light because it exposed the evil of their hearts. As believers, you're to go and expose by your life and words the evil of men's hearts. This is a very serious and important responsibility. You must take it, not take it lightly. Peter explains that even though these wicked men will hate you, they will despise your life, they will try to, to make it out that you are the one who is evil. Don't we see that in the abortion debate today? Who do the pro-death camp call wicked? Those who would try to take the woman's right to choose away. They ignore that a life is snuffed out in each abortion. Peter says, this is your duty, to make people examine their hearts. On the day God visits these people, they will see what you have stood for and will lift their voices in praise before God. In other words, when God chooses to save some of their souls, your testimony will be there to show them and wonder of believe, the wonder of believing in Jesus Christ. They will love you and bear. They will hear the message of hope you have delivered. <laughs> Now listen, I'm not telling any of you to go out and get in a strong debate with anybody about abortion. Just point out to them, in an abortion, a child is killed, and that's against God's word. You don't need to say any more. That puts the onus on them and on their hearts to consider what they're doing. 
I believe this is one of the weakest areas of the evangelical world today. They have come to believe they can win the lost by acting more like the lost. I saw a news story when I was in seminary. I may have told you all about this before. Uh, There was a church, a strip club opened up across the street from it. The church was fighting against it, trying to get it closed down. The news channel sent out a reporter. And that reporter came to do the story on this debate, this fight. They went to the strip club, took the cameras with them, and then they went into the church, taking their cameras with them. At the end of the story, the reporter said the only way you could tell the difference between the club and the church was that in one, some of the performers were without clothing. The church used the same type of entertainment, the same type of music, They were trying to be like the world without the worst elements. That will not glorify God. The duty of belief requires that you be different, different from the world. And in that difference from the world and in that difference, you should stand out and make people take notice. But that church wasn't doing that. They were there to to honor the world. They were going to make their kids happy by bringing the world into the church. In conclusion, believing on Jesus Christ is the utmost importance for, for there is no other name given whereby men must be saved. You cannot know God and expect to be with him in heaven apart from believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. I would call each of you this morning to stop and examine your heart. Examine your heart against what the Scripture says. Let the Scripture convict you of where you need to change and then change. It must not be in your own works. You must do these works Peter has laid out only because you have believed in Jesus Christ. But for everyone who does this, who does not believe or who does believe, these works will be evident in your life. So if you name the name of Jesus Christ, then you must be about this work living a holy life. If you don't find the evidence of such work in your life, then I call you to examine the works of Jesus Christ. He was sent into this world by God the Father to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He came to live the perfect life, to die the atoning death, and to win the resurrection victory. He did this on behalf of all who would place their trust in him. He came to win that resurrection victory over the enemies you could never defeat, sin, Satan, and death. He's doing this for you. The call is clear. Hear this message and believe in this one who has done this wonderful work of redemption for you. Then you will be given eternal life and the ability to begin living a holy life. I trust that's what everybody here wants, is to have that holy life. It comes only through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. We open your word because we know in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Help us this day to grow in our love of this glorious gospel you have given us through your Son. Work in the hearts of all who are here. 
Show them the grace of Jesus Christ and strengthen, and strengthen them in their faith. We are all sinners, and we all fall so far short of your glory. We know the promise you have given to all who will acknowledge their sin and their need of a Savior. Draw us into that promise. Build us up so we can stand fast in you, O Father. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.